we are beginning a brand new series here today at New Life called Just Jesus. And this series corresponds with the launch of our next season of life groups, which happened this week. Inside of your bulletin, you're going to find an insert. And that insert looks like this. And let me tell you about that just briefly. There's a place on the front for you to take any kind of notes during today's message, if you'd like. And if you open it up, there's some, it's your life group study guide. So what we're asking you to do is to spend some time with this after church answer some of these questions, and as you go to your life group this week, um, um, come ready to continue uh, to learn and to grow, and uh, that will be an important thing that you'll want to take with you um, to, to life groups. Now, last weekend, last Sunday night, we had our group link. How many of you are, were at our group link? Yeah, good, good number of you. We had a great time together, and group link is our way of helping new people get connected into a life group. And let me just kind of tell you where we're at with life groups. Uh, Mario, who's our uh, connections pastor in charge of our life groups, he let me know that this session, we have 34 life groups in our church, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, you can clap for that. That's great. In those 34 life groups, as of right now, there are 451 adults in those, in those life groups. So that is fantastic. And here's what really gets me excited. 120 of those 451 are joining a new life life group for the very first time. And so that is phenomenal. That's phenomenal. So that represents about 60% of the adults in our church. And so let me just encourage you, if you're not in one yet, Please think about and pray about joining. You will have the opportunity anytime you want. If like today or next week, two weeks from now, a month from now, two months from now, you're like, I really think it's time for me to jump in one of these life groups. Please reach out to Mario Gonzalez, our connections pastor. He will do anything he can to help you get connected into one of those groups. But we are excited about this kickoff this week, and this study lines up right with our life groups. Hey, if you brought a Bible, please go ahead and open up to the book of Galatians. That's where we are going to be. And if uh, you're needing a Bible, there are Bibles scattered around in the seat pockets around you. And if you can put your fingers on one, we'd love for you to. Um, of course, all the scripture we're going to read today will be on the screens for you to follow along as well. But once you find Galatians, would you somehow bookmark that page uh, where Galatians is because that is where we're going to be spending the next six Sundays together because we are starting this series out of Galatians called Just Jesus. We are going to tackle one chapter per week. So this is going to be a chapter by chapter study. So I want to be very clear about something. We're not going to read every single verse in each chapter. That would be a verse by verse. And I love to preach verse by verse, but we're setting this up a little differently. We're going to go chapter by chapter, and I want to encourage you to read Galatians on your own. In fact, sometime this week, maybe before you go to your life group, if you're participating in that this week, spend some time with Galatians. Carve out 20 or 30 minutes. Grab a cup of coffee if you like that kind of stuff. I don't. Ugh. Anyway, <laughs> grab coffee. Many of you like it. Open your Bible. Read Galatians and get the full context of it. And, and maybe get into a routine during this series that I'm going to read the next chapter before I come to church. And if you do that, then you're going to be uh, that much further along in our study. But this is going to be a six-week chapter-by-chapter study through the book of Galatians. Now, just so there's clarity, the book of Galatians sometimes was referred to as the letter of Galatians or the epistle of Galatians, the book of Galatians. I just want you to know that when I say Galatians, I mean all of that. I may sometimes say the letter of Galatians. I may say the epistle. All I mean is this letter that the apostle Paul wrote 
that's found in the New Testament of the Bible called Galatians. So we know that Paul wrote it. It's the Apostle Paul. And we're going to talk more about him here today. But the Apostle Paul wrote this Galatians, this book of Galatians. And if you want to boil down the whole theme of the book, the whole, the whole big idea, it's this. Just Jesus. That's all you need. That, that's why he wrote it. If he's like, what is Galatians about? Oh, Galatians, the big idea there is just Jesus. That is all you need. Nothing more, nothing less. Now, throughout this series, we will unpack all of the reasons for why Paul felt it was necessary to drive that message home. But just know this, the, the book of the Bible that you have open in front of you, the main point is this, just Jesus, that's all you need. Now, the opening verses of this book tell us who wrote it. So you got chapter 1, verse 1 open. Let's read it together. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and all the brothers and sisters with me. So this is where we learn that the apostle Paul is the author of the book of Galatians. And here's what we know about Paul. Well, we know a lot of things. Here's what I want to tell you. He was once a persecutor of Christians. He would go from house to house, town to town, and, and he, would, he would tear families apart, throw Christians in jail. Some of them were put to death. His whole mission in life was to destroy this brand new movement of people who were following Jesus. But one day he met Jesus. And it changed his entire life. And some of you could say the same thing. Man, my life was like this, but then I met Jesus, and now I'm like this. Anybody got that story? Many of us. Jesus changed his life, and he turned into the greatest evangelist that we know about in the New Testament. That's who's writing this letter. Somebody who persecuted the church, but now followed Christ and made it his mission to lead as many people to Jesus as possible. He says that I was not sent from men. So it's not like, hey, I was, you know, I ran into Peter one day and he told me about Jesus. I said, you ought to be in the ministry. He goes, that's not how this happened. He says, I was called into this role by Jesus himself. And Acts chapter 9 is where we read about that calling. Paul and his companions, they were on the road to Damascus. They were going to, to uh, try to harm and hurt the church. And Jesus appeared to, to Paul, who at the time was called Saul, and, and Jesus said to him, why are you persecuting me? And he fell to the ground, Paul did, and his eyes were blinded, and, and, and that was the moment. And you can read about it sometime in Acts chapter 9. That was the moment. Everything changed. And so he's writing this letter saying, hey, listen, I was sent by Jesus, an apostle, which means one sent and it carries with it the one who comes with the message of the sender. So he's saying, I'm an apostle sent by Jesus, and I'm about to say something to you, and you need to listen. That who, that's who's writing this letter. Now look at the next verse, verse 3. This is where it tells us who is receiving this letter. It says, to the churches of Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So this letter was going out to a group of Christians that were spread out through the, the province of Galatia. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I come across Bible locations, they don't mean a thing to me. 
Well, the, the church is in Galatia. Well, where in the world is that? Well, let me tell you where in the world that is today. It's, it's really central modern-day Turkey. If you can visualize where that is on a map, it's the country of Turkey just north of the Mediterranean Sea. In fact, I got a map. I'll show you. If you've got a Bible that has maps in the back of it, anybody have maps in your Bible? You're going to want to look for the map that's titled Paul's Missionary Journeys. And this is the map that applies to the book of Galatians. Paul in the book of Acts, it tells us about all of his travels around the known world and where he went planting churches. And so he would, if you see the Mediterranean Sea, hopefully you know where that is, the southern part of the sea is Africa. And as you come up this side, you see the Holy Land where Jerusalem is, modern-day Israel today. You keep going and you come up to the northern part of the Mediterranean Sea, that's Turkey. And see all of these little towns where the arrows are, those are the churches of Galatia. So these were real places. This is a real, you know, you can visit these places today, some of them. But these are the Christians who are living in these communities around the province of Galatia. That's the recipients of this letter. And what becomes very obvious as you start to read the book of Galatians is just how disturbed Paul is with them. And what's going on in those churches and what's going on in those churches and what he's so disturbed about is that these Christians who he loves and he's invested his life into, um, they are starting to believe what he calls a different gospel. It's different than what they had first accepted. And so Paul's writing them a letter. The second he hears about it, he writes them a letter. He's not going to waste any ink or any paper at all in getting to the point. Look at verse 6. This is what he says. I am astonished. That you are so quickly deserting the one who called you, who, <clears throat> one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And that's pretty strong, isn't it? So Galatians is sometimes referred to as Paul's angry letter. We know that Paul wrote uh, most likely 13 of the New Testament books uh, in the New Testament. So he's written extensively. And as you read the other things that he wrote, like the book of Romans, Corinthians, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and, and other places, there, there's something about those letters that sound different than this. In the beginning of those letters, and you can go read them anytime, he says things like this, oh, I miss you. Oh, I'm praying for you. All the brothers and sisters that I've been meeting in my trials, they send greetings to you. Oh, I have these fond memories of when I was with you. There's a lot of warm fuzzies at the beginning of his letters, but there is none of that in Galatians. Not one little ounce of like, man, I'm so glad to be communicating to you. And I think that's because of the seriousness of the content of the letter, the seriousness of the danger that these churches were in. And honestly, when he evaluates it, I think he is very angry about it. And some of that anger, that anger tone comes out in this letter. Look back at verse 7. Here's what he's upset about. He says, evidently, some people. 
Now, that's how he refers to them here. We'll get more into it later. But he goes, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Well, who in the world are these some people? Well, that, you know, that answer to that question is going to become more clear as we get deeper into this letter. But for now, Paul is referring to some false teachers that came into these churches of Galatia while Paul was away on his travel. So he wasn't there. So they came in after he left, and they were teaching the churches a, a gospel that they considered to be true. And it was in sharp contrast to the message that Paul had taught them when he was there. And, and, and Paul has had it up to here with these guys. He had encountered them in other churches, and he has nothing good to say about them. We, we learned they did nothing but harm. They did no good, just nothing but harm. And, and Paul will, or will say in Galatians that there's going to be consequences for what they've done to these churches. There's going to be a price to pay. And by the time we get to chapter 5, you're going to hear Paul's tone even shift even farther where he wishes physical harm to these false teachers. He, he wants pain and suffering for what they've done. Now, a few weeks ago, we finished our drifting series. I know many of you were here. And, and I remember saying to you guys as we talked about false teachers and, and things that were, you know, um, causing Christians to, tempting them to drift away. And I, I don't know if you remember this, but I, I said to you that there were a few Sundays during that series where I went home and I, in my quieter moments, I thought, was I too harsh? Did I come across too strong? And then I shared with you, and then I remember reading about Paul in Galatians. He wanted physical harm to happen to these false teachers. And I'm like, well, at least I never wanted or promoted physical harm to anybody. Paul has strong language for what these false teachers are doing to the people he loves. And that comes out in these in this letter. So these false teachers that Paul refers to in chapter one as some people, what was so different about their message? What, what was it about what they were saying that got him so riled up? What, what, what was causing confusion in the church? What, what was so bad about what they were saying that, that Paul said, you're going to be under God's curse for that? What was this perversion that he was talking about? Well, we learn these details as you read the whole letter, but essentially these some people moved in and they had convinced the Christians in these churches that if they truly love God, if you truly desire to follow Jesus with all of your heart, then you have to do this. It's not just about believing in Jesus, but you also have to convert back to obeying the full law. So, so this idea that you got to believe in the law and, and everything that comes with it and follow Jesus, then you'll be saved. So these Christians in Galatia, they were primarily Gentiles. They did not live Jewish lifestyles. They didn't grow up that way. And so these people that came into the church were saying, no, you have to. You have to live like a Jewish person. So that would mean you got to be circumcised, You've got to obey all the food laws in the Old Testament. You've got to observe the calendar cycles that the law requires. You have to keep to a T all the festivals and, and all the sacrifices and all the rituals. So basically, these some people's message was you've got to convert to a Jewish way of living and follow Christ. And if you'll do that, then you're truly saved. And what's wrong with that? 
everything. I want you to remember, that. What, what's wrong with that? Everything is wrong with that. We'll unpack this more next week in chapter 2, exactly what's wrong with that, but these false teachers came into the church and they convinced everybody that you have to observe and obey and to put their entire hope into the very thing that was powerless to save them. And then to make that powerless thing a legalistic requirement for faith. And so the formula of their false message was this. The old covenant law plus Jesus equals salvation. If you're going to make it a formula, it's this. The old covenant law plus faith in Jesus equals salvation. And this is the formula of their message that got Paul so riled up. He's like, this is the perverted gospel. This is that false thing. This is what you guys are believing in error, and that motivated this letter of Galatians. Paul wrote about this very thing in the book of Romans chapter 8. You don't need to turn there, but I'm going to read it to you um, now. Verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Now, I know that that's going to take several readings to really capture and you've got to really think on and, uh, of what that is saying in Romans, but let me simplify it for you. Paul is acknowledging in Romans that the law can never save anybody. These good works, these acts that you do, all of these things, they may be very good, but they cannot save you, only Jesus. So the true gospel that Paul taught the Galatians was this. If you put it in a formula, it's this. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. This is Paul's message. This is what they were believing when he left, and this is what was getting confused. Jesus plus nothing else equals everything. And Paul will spend the next five chapters of his letter building the case for these Christians and to convince them that it's just Jesus. It's not Jesus plus a bunch of rules. It's not Jesus plus all these works. It's just, it's just Jesus. But these some people were very influential. Obviously, they were accepted into the fellowship to a certain degree, and they were able to influence a number of these Christians to believe this very thing, that they needed to add something to their faith in order to please God. Now, I don't want to rehash the whole drifting series from a couple weeks ago, but I do want to say this. I think often about what we are susceptible to today as Christians. I think often about it. I think about the influences pressuring Christians to believe differently than the true gospel. To believe something that is not Jesus plus nothing equals everything. I think often about that. I wonder, what is our church coming under? What influences are we as a church family under to believe something else? Maybe even to believe another gospel or a perverted version of it. I hope you know this by now, but as Christians, we are constantly surrounded by some people. 
It's really no different. We're constantly surrounded. Some people don't always have the best intentions for your faith. Some people who flat out hate the church. Some people who do not like what Christianity represents. Some people who will hold you back from a promotion at work because you love Jesus Christ. Some people who just want you to fail. Some people who would gladly lead you in a different path if you'd listen. Some people who would love to entice you to sin. Some people who want to debate you for the sole purpose of debating. Know anybody like that? Some people who just have an antagonistic spirit towards Jesus or towards the church and would love the opportunity to debunk your faith with fancy arguments. Some people are all around us some of the time. And I'm here to tell you today that it takes some kind of faith to stand up under some of that pressure to some people. I'm not talking about an ordinary faith. I'm not talking about a casual relationship with God. I'm not talking about a Sunday-only kind of relationship with our Heavenly Father. I'm talking about that walk-by-faith, not-by-sight kind of walk with Jesus. That's what it takes to live up under this pressure that we are bombarded by all the time and these messages that come at us from every direction to try to persuade us away from the truth. What I think is obvious and will become very obvious as we read more into Galatians, is that these Christians were not at a point where they were strong enough to handle the barrage of false teaching that was coming their way. But I sure hope that we are at New Life Christian Church. These some people, as Paul called them today, are still influencing Christians. It may not look exactly the same, but the influence is still strong. Let, let me share some things with you that might be of, of surprise, but I think it, it, it illustrates that some people are very persuasive. Last year, Barna Research and Summit Ministries did a study of the worldview of people who claim to be Christians. So they did a huge survey, and basically anybody say, how many in this room are Christians? And everybody that raised their hands, that's who they talked to. They said, what is the worldview of people today claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ? And the results of their study, we, oh man, it was sad. What they learned in that one study is that 17% of people who claimed to be Christians had a biblical worldview. That's scary. Only 17%. Well, what do they define as a biblical worldview? Here's how they define it that you believe that moral, absolute moral truth exists. Here's another marker of a biblical worldview. They said, you believe that the Bible is totally accurate in all of its principles and everything it teaches. That Satan is real and not symbolism. That a person cannot earn their way to heaven by trying to be good or to do good works. And finally, that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life on earth and God is the all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the world who still rules the universe today. Of all the Christians they talked to, only 17% believed every one of those. That's alarming. What does that mean? Well, it means a lot of things. But to me, specifically, it means that we are surrounded by some people and they are proving to be quite persuadable 
If Paul was alive today, and this is completely hypothetical, of course, but if Paul was alive today and he wrote a letter to the churches of America, I wonder what it might say. I wonder if it would start like this. I am shocked that so many of you are leaving the foundations of God's words and are believing anything that comes across your computer screens. I'm shocked that, that you are so accommodating to a lifestyle that clearly God would not support. I wonder what he might say to Christians today. I, I don't know. I just, I just wonder. Can I throw some more numbers to, about, uh, to you about some people? 70% of all young people who grow up in church leave the church by the time they hit their early 20s. 70%. Why is that? Well, I think there's a lot of reasons for that. But one of them is because some people are very strong in their influence. And many of our young people leave the home and they're not ready for the pressure of some people in some environments. I, I remember my father told me many years ago, um, he was talking to me about his, how he grew up, and my, my father is a retired pastor. He's my spiritual hero. He told me when I was 18 years old, I went to Oklahoma State University and to start my life. And I was a young Christian, and my faith came under serious attack as a freshman at university. All of a sudden, I, I was in this environment where I had professors who were challenging what I had believed for years, other students. And, he, and my dad told me that for the first time in my whole life, I was questioning what I believed. Now, that questioning what you believe, there's not a thing wrong with that. I think we all have to question and we have to resolve in ourselves what we believe. And sometimes these kind of pressures and challenges motivate us to grow. But some people pull us away. From what we believed and maybe you can relate to the same thing my father did he had to go out and study on his own he had to learn some apologetics and how to defend his faith and some evidences for why he believed things that he was lacking before and then it really shored up his faith and he was solid ever since but that season of his life was a very tricky season he said maybe you can relate to that but right now 70 percent of young people who grow up in church coming on sundays going to youth group they're done with the church by their 20s. Here's another statistic. More than 2 million people have left the church every year in the past seven years. Every study points to that. 2 million people a year are walking away from church and saying, I don't want that anymore. Why is that? Well, there's a lot of reasons for that. But I think in part it's because some people have convinced Christians that the church isn't a necessary part of their faith. They have convinced that the church is full of hypocrites. And I'm not going to deny there's hypocrites in the church. We're all here, aren't we? And so, that was supposed to be funny. All right? I'm not, I'm just saying we're not perfect people. That's all I mean by that. Of course we're in church. We need Jesus because we're not perfect. We're going to mess up. But some people have persuaded, you don't need those people. You don't need that fellowship. They're all wrong. It's bogus. You don't need it. Right now, two million people a year are walking away from the church and saying, that's not for me anymore. Here's another one. In the last eight years, the percentage of the U.S. population calling themselves Christians has decreased from 78% down to 70%. Just in the last eight years, 
In other words, asking a room like this, how many of you are Christians? There's less people today raising their hand. Why is that? Well, I think some people are very persuasive. Well, there's been an, a massive uprising in our country that we simply call the nuns. Do you know what I'm talking about? I'm not talking about Catholic nuns. There's not a massive uprising of Catholic nuns. <laughs> Maybe there is, I don't know. But in religious circles, when you say, when you talk about the nuns, we're actually talking about a religious shorthand term for people that claim no religious affiliation at all. So like an atheist or an agnostic or somebody who's like, I, I'm nothing. They would check a box on an application, you know, what's your religious affiliation? They would check none or nothing. That demographic in our country is on the rise like you would not believe. Let me tell you, right now, 23% of Americans check none. Now you say, well, 23%, that's not a whole lot. Well, you know what? Eight years ago, it was 16%. There's been a massive swing of people who are saying, I don't want anything to do with, with Christianity or any religion. I'm a nun. I'm a nothing. I, I don't affiliate with anything. And that group is what I mean, a rise in the nuns. And you know what greatly uh, burdens my spirit is that the fastest growing group of nuns in America right now is the millennial generation. 35% of the checkbox nuns is Millennial, those people born between um, 1981 and 1996, 35% of them said, I want nothing to do with any of that. And the numbers for nuns seem to be trending younger and growing by the year. Now, what does that all mean? Well, it means a lot of things. But it means that we are surrounded by some people and they are persuading heavily. It also means that the church is not reaching that generation that's coming up behind us. I'm a Gen Xer. Any other Gen Xers in here? A few of you. Not very bold with that. I'm a Gen, I'm a Gen Xer. And what that says to me is that the generations that are following me are not following Jesus like me. In massively growing numbers. We've got our work cut out for us at the church because some people are not making it easy on us. These Galatians, they weren't ready for these some people. And I wonder, how are we doing as a church family, really? How are you doing? We're constantly surrounded. How are you holding up? The book of Galatians, I believe, will help us stand up to the influences of some people. I've said this many times. I'll say it again this morning, that knowing God's word is our greatest defense towards some people. It's our greatest defense against false messages, knowing God's word. So since knowing God's word is our greatest defense, then let's together as a church family always be committed to growing in our knowledge of God's word. Let's learn together the book of Galatians. It will be a great place for a great thing for us to learn because in Galatians, we will learn the true gospel. It will be outlined for us and 
explained in great detail about what is the truth. And we as a church family, I know many of us believe it, but if we can sure up that foundation even more, we will be more dynamic in our witness and stronger in defending against these some people. I believe God wants to show you something over the next six weeks. I believe God wants to help you grow. I think he's got a great plan for your life, and I think he wants to show you some details of that plan in the book of Galatians. So can I encourage you to stay with this series? Can I encourage you to read Galatians on our own? If you're in a life group, can you be committed to diving into that with other people? God wants to show you something significant in the next six weeks. Will you listen? Will you be open to him showing you what it is? I'm excited about where we're going. Before the end of chapter 1, Paul tells these Christians in Galatians that his life is absolutely different today because of the true gospel. And he's going to talk about, you can read it on your own, he's going to talk about how, how his life is transformed. And, and really, to be honest with you, the only transformational power is Jesus. Just Jesus. And that's his point for this whole letter. Many of you will relate greatly to what Paul has to say before we're done with chapter 1.